This message was recorded at North 2011, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. Thank you for coming out again. Good to see you here. We'll just pray and then we'll get down to things. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here and wonderful, uh, Lord, knowledge of God, the experience of your guidance and blessing. We thank you, Father, for every blessing you pour out. And Lord, we ask you now, in the name of Jesus, that you will, Lord, really feed us, help us, let this session benefit us, Lord. Let us really know the help, please, Father, of the Holy Spirit while we're together here. That, Lord Jesus, you will please be our teacher and our guide. We look to you for your help in it, please, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the title I've been given is uh, Holy Spirit Leadership. And uh, if that's what you're expecting, welcome. As they said on an aeroplane I was on recently, this one is going to wherever. If you were going somewhere else, somewhere else, it might be a good time to leave now. Uh, but uh, if this is one you're looking for, welcome. Uh, just to mention that the Spirit-filled church that Jeremy uh, mentioned this morning has a couple of chapters in it on leadership, one on pastoring and one on leadership. Uh, there's another on apostolic leadership too, but I just commend the book to you. Grateful it's going well, and uh, I had the publishers in touch two weeks ago. It's into its third printing already, and so it's very encouraging. It hadn't just come out in uh, May, I think, so it's gone well. So, Holy Spirit or Spirit-filled leadership, uh, that's, uh, that's a biblical concept. We read in the Bible that uh, the Lord chose weak people, uh, sometimes particularly specialized in choosing weak people, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them, which resulted in them being leaders. Uh, we know that when uh, Samuel went to the home of Jesse, he was looking for someone, and uh, we're told uh, that he went initially to Eliab, his oldest son, who was impressive, looked a bit like Saul, he was a big one, and God said to uh, Samuel, look, man looks on the outward appearance, I look on the heart, and uh, he's not the guy. And, uh, but actually, you find that uh, although Samuel said, I'd like to meet your sons, uh, seven of them turned up, uh, but David wasn't there. And then you find that Samuel says, is, is this the whole lot? And of course, Jesse says, no, there's a one other, uh, he's looking after the sheep, the youngest. And he doesn't even name him. He doesn't, he doesn't say, or David, he just says the youngest. And uh, we read in Corinthians that God chooses the weak things, and the things that are despised, even the things that are not. And uh, so it's like David was not. And yet God called him, and then it says uh, Samuel anointed him with oil, and the Spirit came upon David. And from that time on, he became a very powerful leader. It was the Spirit coming upon him that made him a leader. That's what marked out the judges. Uh, the judges were spiritual leaders because the Spirit came on them. It's quite plain. The Spirit came on Samson, the Spirit came on Jethro, the Spirit came on these guys and made them leaders. And so the concept of uh, a charismatic leader, an empowered leader, a leader who leads not because of uh, his own natural skills, 
not because he got uh, some good degree or went to a theological college. Uh, It's not because of those things, not that one necessarily despises those things, but that isn't where leadership came from. Leadership came from the Spirit coming upon people. So Holy Spirit leadership is a biblical concept. It's God coming upon people. And uh, although I've used Old Testament illustrations, we read in the New Testament where Paul is talking to the elders uh, in Acts 20 at Ephesus, he says, the Holy Spirit made you elders, made you overseers. And so it's a, it's a coming upon of the Spirit that makes leadership. Now that is often uh, ignored, sadly, uh, by the church in the modern world. So you can get other kinds of leadership. You can get what you might call ecclesiastical leadership, uh, where the, the system um, produces uh, people, uh, maybe a vicar or a, a bishop or whatever, and, and it's because of his office or his title, he's the leader. He leads the church. Well, well, he, well he's the vicar. He leads us. Uh, and so there's an ecclesiastical thing. Now, that need not be formal church life or high church, as we might call it. It can happen even um, as it did with the exclusive brethren. When uh, uh, Jim Taylor was the leader, he was the leader. You did what he said. And even when, tragically, uh, that man was found in bed with a woman and uh, they challenged his leadership, no, 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 I was testing your loyalty um, because I'm the leader. And it's kind of ecclesiastical leadership. Um, And so he's got the job, he's got the title, he's the leader. Now, that's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about the Spirit coming upon someone and giving them gifts and skills and abilities that they didn't have before. Things that they might have thought, for instance, like public speaking. They might have thought, well, I could never do such a thing. I, I don't know that I could do it. Or, or having insight into the scripture. We'll come on to these things later. You might think, well, I don't feel able. But when the Spirit comes upon people, I've seen guys over the years really quite transformed when the Spirit coming upon them. And you thought, well, I didn't realize he had those skills or it didn't look like that was an ability. I know for myself when I was at school, um, you know, public reading was a sort of thing that terrified me uh, in the classroom at school when, you know, we were going to read this thing. Oh, would you read it? I said, oh, I'm terrified of just standing in public. So uh, it, it's not a natural thing for some of us. We don't feel that we could have done that. It's, a, it's the gift of God that does that changing things. So it can be, alternatives can be, well, it's just religious. It's just the system. Or it can be traditional uh, leadership. We, we find churches that perhaps have been kind of locked into a process, what we might call trad leadership. Well, this is the way we've always done it. And you know the, whole, the old joke about how many, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is, change a light bulb? <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, that kind of, well, we've always done it this way. We're never going to change it. And, and to be honest, as I've said in, in this book here about leadership, if, if you're not going anywhere, if it's just taking services, uh, you know, it doesn't need a lot of leadership. But if you feel, no, we're, we're really on a mission, we're looking to God to guide us uh, to start new churches or grow churches, we, we really feel we're pressing on. With, you need leadership. Without leadership, it can't happen. And actually, the people of God love leadership. There's something instinctive in the flock of God that rises to good shepherding, if I can use that word, that, that they can sometimes feel one of the reasons people will book in and come to a, this kind of camp in the rain and all the rest of it is this instinctive feeling, I know I get stirred by 
Holy Spirit leadership. I know I can come out of myself more. I can be more fulfilled because I want God, but I, I, I feel my personal limitations. I feel I, it's the inspiration that moves me. And that's part of a leadership gift, that it inspires people uh, outside of their personal previous limitations. That's part of the gift of leadership. It says in, uh, I think it's the Romans 12 list, one of the list, listed gifts is the inspiring of the faith of others. I think that's how J.B. Phillips translates it. So leadership is often inspiring other people's faith. In fact, I would say that's one of the key gifts of leadership, that it's not just telling people, sit down, do what I say. Uh, you're trying to draw people out of their personal limitation spheres when they feel, well, I've never done that. I don't know if I could do that. And you are, you are implanting faith into their hearts to move beyond where they've come from. Because God chooses the weak things of this world. But weak people can come, they can rise into new dimensions. But one of the ways they rise to it is through inspired, spirit-filled leadership. It brings people from their previous limitations. It helps them to believe, I can do stuff that I didn't know I could do. That's part of your gift as a leader. It's part of your skill as a leader. And so we're not just looking for trad leadership. Can I say this? We're not just looking for fad leadership. We're not looking for, well, this is the latest thing. We come drifting. Oh, there's another one. Oh, oh there's another one. Let's all follow this. And that, that can happen. And I've been around long enough now, I guess, <laughs> um, to see down through the decades all kinds of fads that you see the church going into. And I thought, hmm, doesn't look very biblical. And things come along, and sometimes people say, why aren't you coming into this? Why, why isn't New Frontiers getting caught up in this? And we thought, well, to be honest, it just looks like the latest fad. And it hangs around for a while, and then it goes, and people aren't talking about it anymore. But there was a season when everybody was doing it, like climb up to a hill and curse Satan out of your a city or something like that. I mean, there's all kinds of things that have, uh, for a season, filled books and magazines, and, and yet it comes and then it goes. And uh, so we're not looking for fad leadership. We're not looking for, we catch the latest thing. We want to be biblical as well as being inspired by the Spirit. Another way of leadership today is almost kind of copying the CEO of a big company, that kind of leadership where you, you, know, you have your five-year plan and uh, you, you, you say, well, we're going to be here by then and so on. Now, to be honest, I don't want to despise planning. Some of us are bad at not planning. But you can get a mental attitude where, well, we, can, we, we are doing this, we've projected, we've done our, our poll, we've done our graphs, we can say that's where we'll be then. And, and there's just the danger of getting so locked into that you think, well, what if the Holy Spirit was going to do something? Oh, we haven't got room for him. So we're talking about Holy Spirit leadership here. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. I love the thought of being responsible. And sometimes when you're projecting, are we going to believe God for a building by now? Or should we do this? It's wise to ponder. But it's just not to be dominated, I would say, by that style. Okay, my intention is um, later on to... Uh, have, be open for questions and conversations, so please, any of these things I'm throwing out, uh, you might make a note and say, hey Terry, what did you mean by, or would you enlarge on, so let's do that, okay? So please feel free uh, to come up with questions later on, but I'm just going to go through some uh, thoughts initially then on um, uh, the whole theme, the spirit-filled leadership. Okay, so it's God who equips, 
we find that for, for the church of God, the Lord Jesus has ushered in the age of the Spirit. We are in what the New Testament calls the age of the Spirit. It wasn't always like this. In the Old Testament, you get just occasional figures like a Samuel or an Elijah. Just one, just one guy for a whole generation. He's the Spirit-filled guy. Or it may be now it's Elisha. Or maybe it's Joshua. It's just one guy in a generation. Now we're in the age of the Spirit. He will pour out the Spirit widely. And Ephesians 4 says, He ascended on high and received from the Father the Spirit and poured out. And it says he, He gave gifts. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And so the ascended Christ, as a kind of reward from the Father, a kind of celebration, triumph. He receives from the Father the promised Spirit. He pours out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And Ephesians 4 says it's not only poured out widely on all the people of God, but he also gave some apostles, some prophets. So the Holy Spirit is giving gifts. Jesus has ascended on high. He's giving gifts. And and, and then it, it says he gives people. Not just gifts, he gives them apostles. He gives them prophets. He gives them evangelists. He gives people, he gives them as Holy Spirit gifts. So Holy Spirit leadership is looking for, discerning, where is the Spirit moving, where is the gift, and the gift creates your sphere of influence. So if you're a pastor, if that's your gift, you're a pastor teacher, the way that becomes manifest is that when you... When you, you feed the flock, when you open the scriptures and speak, people feel, when he speaks, I hear God. When he leads, something in me, I just, I just feel, I hear God when he speaks. And, and you'll find that's how a flock begins to develop. That a shepherd has a skill to feed people. And of course we believe in plurality of elders, So that will be multiplied. We could come back to that. But the gift creates the world that you're in. And it may be that you're a prophetic gift, so that works differently. It's not that it gathers a flock like a shepherd does, but the gift creates the context of your ministry. The evangelist, again, will work differently uh, because the gift shapes the way you serve God. And so we're looking probably mostly here at eldership, a uh, 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 pastor teacher. So it's mostly the gift is to do with, in the Word, by the Spirit, you feed people. That's one of the words that's translated shepherd or it's translated feed. Feed the flock of God or shepherd the flock of God. You can translate it other way. And so we're looking for people whose gifting, the Holy Spirit has given a skill that when you open the Bible, God shows you stuff. And you, and you speak it, and people say, I don't know how you see that in there. And sometimes the people in your church will say, hey, pastor, that was so helpful to me. And when you saw, I've read that passage, I've never seen that. And yet, part of your gift is that God shows you things, you understand things, you can interpret them well. You can interpret them right to where people are. They think, gosh, this guy knows me. And you'll find that happens. People say, how did you know I was here? How did you know? You think, well, I didn't know anything. I'm just doing what God's showing me, and I'm feeding this flock. And something supernatural is happening. 
we're not just explaining the verses. We're, we're giving uh, ministry God's given us, and the flock is feeding. They're feeling, God spoke to me. God, I want to come back next week. And you'll find a church will grow. If there's a, a very gifted teacher or group of pa- uh, pastor teachers, often those churches will grow because, well, I get fed. I'm really receiving stuff from God because the Holy Spirit is acting. That's how it was. The Holy Spirit leadership, these are, these are grace gifts. And that, as I said earlier, that's not because we deserve them. I mean, Gideon, you remember Gideon? I mean, he's like a hopeless case, isn't he? He's, uh, he's hiding in a cave. And, and uh, the Spirit comes upon Gideon. It says, clothed Gideon. And he became a, spirit, a, a spiritual leader. And that's fascinating. Actually, I just noticed uh, uh, in Judges 8, 18, I've never seen it before. I was just reading in Judges, like in my own personal readings. And uh, it, it just noticed that it talks about this guy who killed uh, Gideon's brothers. It's this kind of obscure passage, which I've never really noticed before. And uh, he said, what did you do? And Judges 8, 18, he said, Zebar, Zalmanah, what kind of men were they who you killed at Tabor? And they said, they were like you, each one resembling the son of a king. Fascinating. They're, they're saying to Gideon, you look like the son of a king. Because they were his brothers. Like you, like a son of a king. When you first meet Gideon, he says, my father is nobody. I come from a home my dad is unrenowned and I'm the least in his house. So here's a guy who's got a humble man. He's got nothing to offer, it seems. But when the Spirit comes on him, he begins to fulfill his ministry. A man says to him, you're like the son of a king. There's something about you. And the Holy Spirit does that to people. He transforms them and changes them. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a supernatural thing, dear friends, we're talking about. Something that lifts someone into a sphere that he wouldn't have been apart from the Holy Spirit. So, starting then with this fact that it's initiated by God, it's a gift of God, God's Spirit comes to us and equips us to do stuff that left to ourselves we wouldn't even think of doing. I know for myself, you know, when you're at school, you're coming through doing your various exams and stuff, the thought of becoming a speaker at all would be a million miles uh, from me. It, the gift of God comes upon us, equips us, and begins to help us to do stuff that is by his strength. Right? So it's God initiating, it's God equipping. Then I want to go on to say, spirit leader, spirit, Holy Spirit-filled leader needs to stay full of the Spirit. Okay? So although there may be a moment when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and maybe many of us could say, oh, I remember the day I was first baptized in the Spirit. That was a, a time when the Spirit came upon me. But we need to be continually filled with the Spirit. It's one of those present tenses, uh, Ephesians and chapter 5. It says, be filled with the Spirit. And it's what's uh, called the present continuous tense. And it could be translated, be being filled with the Spirit. So it's something we want to carry on doing. It's not, oh, yeah, I was filled with the Spirit in 1989 or something. No, no. We're continually filled with the Spirit. Something we do or something we engage with uh, 
continually. It says, uh, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, making melody with all your heart to God. Okay, so uh, that would be, for me, uh, a daily routine that in the mornings when I wake, uh, get myself a cup of tea, I get my wife a cup of tea, and then I get downstairs into a room and I open my Bible and I start reading it, and, and then I start worshipping, singing, making melody in my heart to the Lord every day, every day. And so I'll be singing, I'll be singing in tongues, I'll be enjoying the presence of the Spirit. And you know, some mornings you can wake up and the sky is like it is here, and sometimes it's like that in your soul. You know, you wake up, and, you, and uh, you know, it's like, come on, body, get up. My, what used to feel? My body got up. Come on, soul, I'm up. What's wrong with you? And because uh, you can feel yuck, can't you? Just feel, oh, I don't know where God is. And uh, no, no, no. I know. I guess many of us these days uh, uh, fly from time to time, and the number of times I've flown out of London Heathrow, and the weather's like this. And uh, after a few minutes, you're up above it, and the sky is blue. I remember once, one of the first times I ever flew, uh, I was with a friend, and we were going to Spain, and we, we flew up uh, above the clouds, and as we're flying along, I turned to my friend, and I said, wow, it's nice and sunny over France. And he said, it's always sunny up here. <laughs> I said, oh, of course. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just got to get up above. You just, and, and, I, and I know often, I, you know, you come down, look out the window, think, boy, look at this weather. And I think, no, no, I'm, gonna go, I'm going up above. And that's the that's choice. And uh, I'm going up above. And so I just begin to sing, begin to make melody, begin to prime the pump. I'll come back to that a bit more later on. But I'm just... I want to keep on being filled with the Spirit. And so I remember first reading about Jackie Pullinger. I'm sure many of you know that name. Uh, and she said, no, I speak in tongues half an hour every morning. That's the first person I ever heard say anything like that. Uh, every morning, I just speak in tongues for half an hour, she said. So, I mean, I, I see. Now, how, you know, she kept going in the tough situation of Hong Kong uh, among drug addicts and much that would break her heart every day. And she said, no, every day I, I, I get filled with the Spirit. And so for me, I mean, I love being in meetings where I lay hands on people. And I, but to be honest, I'm doing that at home every morning anyway. In terms of I'm, I'm just enjoying the Spirit. I just begin to sing, worship, praise God, and enjoy His presence. And, and sometimes that can start like cold. You can feel nothing. I recall once I was staying in a home I was going for preaching for a weekend and uh, arrived on the Saturday and, and uh, the lady of the house said, oh, there's hot water in the tap. Uh, you know, there's the bathroom and that's where you're sleeping. And in the morning, I remember going through to the bathroom and, and turning on the tap and boy, it was cold. And, uh, and she said, there's hot water in the tap. So I thought, she's there, there's hot water. So I kept it running. But it was cold for ages. I mean, it seemed to me that, you know, the, the heater must be going down the street and along there and on. But by the time I'd finished, I couldn't see my reflection in the mirror because of the steam. And I thought, no, there's hot water in the tap. She said there is. 
And it's like that. I've, I've, often, I've always remembered that. There's hot water in the tap. And so you can begin to worship. You think, God, God, you're a million miles away. I don't feel you're here. I'm very worried about Mrs. So-and-so. How are we going to pay that? What about this? And I don't know if I'm going to get that ready in time. I've got to be at that meeting. And your brain's all over the place. And you're feeling, I don't know where God is in all this. And, and beloved, spirit-filled leadership means you begin to fly up above that. Because it's got to be ongoing spirit-filled leadership. So it's not good enough to, well, I was baptized in the Spirit a decade ago. Now I want to be filled with the Spirit this morning. And so, yeah, this morning where I'm staying, I found a room and I'm singing in the Spirit. I mean, I'm just looking for God. And so I want to encourage you, that's an ongoing. We just continually being filled with the Spirit. Continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're enjoying His nearness. I've often been asked, what would be you know, one verse you would give to young pastors? And uh, I, I nearly always come up with this verse. Keep yourself in the love of God, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. If you don't keep yourself in the love of God, you're going to have real trouble trying to feed a flock. And if you're not enjoying God's love, you'll start beating up the flock. You'll beat your wife up, probably, for starters. But if you, because the, the leader knows pressure. You get more pressure than the average church member, and sometimes you can get more encouragement than the average church member. You get people saying, oh, thank you, Pastor, it's really helpful. You get lots of encouragements, more than lots of our members do. But you do, if you're being, uh, if you're serving the Lord, you know you get loads of pressures. And so you've got to rise above pressures. If you don't, pressures will swamp you. And you start ministering out of an empty tank. And if you start ministering out of an empty tank, you can get frustrated. You can get into that Martha complex. Why do I have to do everything? I have to get the chairs out and the music. And I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And no one, you start preaching like that. Who's going to do it? Why didn't you come? There's a prayer meeting, you know. And you, know, you start beating up the saints. Because why? Well, actually, you're ministering out of empty. You know, you're on empty. And what comes out is anger, frustration, cajoling the people, manipulating through guilt. That's not the way to lead the flock of God. And the way to lead the flock of God is to make sure your own soul is happy in God. Okay, so I, uh, uh, you'll find, if, I don't know if you ever go on websites, I've got a website now and I'm putting out regular uh, little interviews. And you can just tune into them. One that's gone up recently is where I'm just quoting... Um, uh, George Muller, the famous uh, German uh, guy who lived in England most of his life, and the orphanages done in Bristol, you know, he, he was a man of faith and supplied for uh, thousands in the end of orphans, all by faith, all by faith. The story is breathtaking how God provided for these orphans. But he said this, my chief duty is to make sure that my soul is happy in God every day. Every day in my soul, that's my chief duty, to make sure my soul is happy in God. I said, wonderful insight. Wonderful. For the Spirit-filled leader, you want to make sure you are enjoying the Holy Spirit's fellowship, enjoying Him, being with Him. You find that when in meetings then we strike up the band, you're there, because, well, you were already enjoying God 
a little earlier this morning, and you're, you're quickly there. You are experiencing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's very, very important. And, and it's real enjoyment. I love those, uh, one of those old Wimber songs. It says, only you can fill my mouth with laughter. Only you can breathe in me new life. Only you can satisfy my deepest longing. I'll often sing that song, and I find myself chuckling. You can fill my mouth with laughter. It's not, it's not just the heavy-duty stuff. No, this is joy. And God, this is the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit leadership isn't just about a public thing. It's not just about platform skills. It's being full of the Spirit and enjoying the presence of God in the midst and actually at anticipating encounter. But you, you're, you're expecting, I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to meet with the Spirit this morning. I'm going to encounter him. Now, it would, it would be true to say that you don't come away every morning thinking, wow, I'm drunk again. You know, there are mornings where, okay, I, I somehow didn't seem to engage in the way that I wanted to. It didn't seem quite, I didn't quite. And so that you need to just be in faith at such times. So, Lord, I'm trusting you. But often we should anticipate, no, no, my heart is just leaping with joy on the inside. It's very, very important. Holy Spirit leadership is then, first of all, if you like, leading yourself into the Spirit, enjoying the Spirit on a regular basis. Hugely, hugely important. One of the girls at the church in Brighton, and she just came home for our kind of goodbye from Brighton thing, and she, she wrote me a letter afterwards. She said, she said, it seems to me you're always like a kid in a candy store. I want to be like that. I want to be like a kid in a candy store. I'm just so excited with meeting with Jesus. I want to encourage you to expect to meet with the Holy Spirit. Then also, leading people into the baptism of the Spirit. It's part of our uh, ministry. Spirit-filled leaders are hoping to see other people filled with the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to... Anticipate that as part of your ministry as a spirit-filled leader. Uh, I would say this, that the promise of the Spirit is to everyone. Right? So all the people in your flock, it's a promise. It's not for just special people. There's no special people. It's not just for people who deserve it. No one deserves the Holy Spirit. It's all free. But as leaders, we want to lead people into life in the Spirit. And so I always feel it's important to have a, an ability to explain why people should receive the Holy Spirit. People get confused in their minds. They're not sure. There are loads of uh, uh, evangelical people out there who will confuse them about the Holy Spirit. They'll say, well, when you got saved, that's it, or other teachings. And so you need to get a clear line that you feel, no, I'm on top of this. I've got it down. I know how to expound this. Again, if I can just say in here, the first couple of chapters are about receiving the Holy Spirit initially, the Spirit-filled church book. It's how to receive the Spirit. So often people will say to me, would you pray for me? At the end of a meeting, they say, would you pray for me that I might be filled with the Spirit? I say, how long have you got? And they say, no, just, just pray for me. I say, no, I won't do it. Why not? No, what are you expecting? Oh, I don't know. I want, I want time. I just need a little time to direct your thoughts through the Scripture so you know what we're expecting to happen when I lay hands on you in a minute. 
Okay, I find that hugely important. And so you want to try and get your way that you think, how do I explain it? I've got my own way of doing that. You know, I, I have certain scriptures that I will line up to. See, Paul says in Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And it's obvious what he means. They received the Spirit by hearing with faith. In other words, they heard what Paul said about the availability of the Spirit and they received with faith. They said, I believe it. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, have you kept the Ten Commandments? Are you, is, is it by keeping the law or is it by hearing with faith? Obviously, he's saying it's by hearing with faith. But what did they hear? And so it's important that we can say, look, this is what it says here. We're in the age of the Spirit. This is what it says. You will receive the Spirit. This is what it says. So I would, I've got a little thing that would take me a time, and I'll go through it. And I'll say, right, now do you understand? Yeah. Right, let's pray then. Because you see, sometimes people say, would you pray for me? If you, don't, if you don't explain, you'll find often people say, would you pray for me? And you've barely got your hands on their head, and they're crying. I've seen this so many times. I've even seen it when we say, all crowds come through and I've just preached about it. Come forward. And you say, right, we're going to pray. Oh, God. What was that? And they're just all all immediately, I'm not worthy. I'm so... You think, come on, what are we talking about here? Of course you're not worthy. You're a load of trash. God saves you. And so people, people, if you haven't taught them, have you understood the gift of the Holy Spirit is for people that Jesus saved by his precious blood and wants you filled with the Spirit. If you don't teach them, they don't know, whether, oh, oh, I don't know if I felt it. Did I feel something? Oh, oh what, what am I waiting for? Will I, what? No, you've got to tell them. Tell them. Explain to them. You need to probably explain to them how does speaking in tongues work. What do I, uh, they're scared. Is it going to happen to me? What will happen? What do I have to do? So I would say if we want to be spirit-filled leaders, one of the things we want to do is lead people into becoming spirit-filled. And one of the ways we do that is to teach it. You are most welcome to use my line of approach, if you like. I mean, I've had a letter from a guy recently as a pastor in the USA and an email from him. He said, I listened to your tape on how to receive the Holy Spirit. He said, I listened to it? I've never met this guy. He sent me an email. He said, I'm a pastor. He said, I thought, I don't know if I believe in that. But I listened to it. I thought, well, I don't know. He's argued the scriptures quite well. And he said, uh, in the book, I mentioned the laying on of hands. So he said, or at least in the story. And he said, uh, nobody here to lay hands on me. So he said, I, he said, I prayed to God. He said, Lord, I believe what he said. Um, there's no one here to lay hands on me. So he said, he said, I asked this. He said, would you lay hands on me digitally? So he said, I prayed, Lord, lay hands on me digitally. So he said, I prayed. It's Saturday night. He's going to preach the next day. His wife's asleep in bed. He said he went to bed, and he's lying there, and he feels this joy bubbling up. He said, I feel this joy. He said, I feel. And then he's got this email he sent me. He said, and then he said, holy cow, I'm speaking in tongues. That's <laughs> oh, fantastic. So, but he'd read enough. He'd read enough to see it. And I've had some correspondence with him since. I mean, just fabulous. He's seen enough. See, people just need to understand. And then we can pray for them. I was, in a, I was speaking at a conference in the States again, actually. And, I, and a guy came to me in the interval between sessions. And he said to me, 
said, uh, uh, what did you say this morning? He said, you made reference to the Spirit. Sounded like you meant that was different to conversion. I said, yeah, I don't remember what I said, but I would, I would say that. He said, I've never heard that before. He said, I'm a pastor. And he said, I, what, do you mean, what do you mean? So I said, have you got time? Yes. So I opened the scriptures with him, about a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes. He said, would you pray for me? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I laid hands on this guy. Spirit fell on him. He's speaking in tongues in the interval, in the meeting. I mean, he's happy Larry, very happy. And uh, the guy running the conference said, you praying with that guy? I said, you, was Ross. He's pastor. I said, no, he's filled with the Spirit now. And then a lady came up to me in the same conference, the second interval. She came up to me and said, I just looked at your book in the bookshop, uh, No Well-Worn Paths. I said, oh, no, that's good. She said, you said you received the Spirit uh, like six years after you were converted. And I said, yeah. She said, I don't believe in that. So I said, well, God bless you. You know, fine. And she said, no, that's not biblical. I said, well, I would have a different view. And, uh, but, you know, you're free. God bless you. And she's arguing with me. And I said, okay, okay. Then she said, would you pray for me? <laughs> this is a true story. true story. Would you pray for me? And I said, no, I won't. She said, why won't you pray for me? I said, you don't believe in it. See, what she wanted was to sort of, well, maybe, maybe he's right. We'll see what happens when he lays hands on me. That's not the way. I said, no, I won't lay hands on I won't, I won't do it. You don't expect it. You, you're just wondering. I said, no, no, that's not the way I've come. So I said, no, I won't. I left her. Because... We need to be able to teach people so that if they're thirsty, they come and expect to receive. And they say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I expect to receive because, well, now I understand why I should receive. But it's for, it's for every believer. And, and, it's, and it is different to conversion. It's the coming upon of the Spirit. Oh, I see the verses. Oh, I see where it fits. Oh, now, faith comes by hearing, hearing from the Word of God. So now they're ready. Now we can pray. Okay, so I want to encourage you, spirit-filled leaders, to lead people into the baptism of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to encourage them. And sometimes people need almost like a kind of overseeing uh, into the birth process. Uh, so you're, 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 you're a little bit like someone helping a baby uh, being brought to birth. It's just that people get very introspective, and it's time to be loving and caring and gentle with people to help people through into an experience of the Spirit. So, leading them into the Spirit. Then thirdly, in, in this, uh, being filled with the Spirit yourself regularly, leading people into the Spirit. Thirdly, Spirit-filled meetings. Okay, so we've got people filled with the Spirit coming together to worship God in the presence of the Spirit. And so that's what I would call charismatic or Spirit-filled worship. Now, people can get confused. You say, is, what, what is your church? Oh, it's always charismatic. And what they mean is it's contemporary. What they mean is they're not an organ. They've got guitars and an overhead. So they, they say, oh, it's charismatic because they sing Matt Redmond songs and they've got, you know, contemporary songs and guitars. So that's, that's, that's not charismatic. I mean, it may be charismatic, but that, that isn't the definition, is it? What we're looking for is people coming with the expectation we will experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. That we expect to encounter him together. It's wonderful encountering him alone. Wonderful privilege. And accessible to us. But to come to, together to experience the Spirit, well, it's wonderful because all sorts of things are possible. Like I heard this morning when Jeremy brought that 
wonderful prophetic word. And then uh, Ginny on the back of it brought her prophetic word. Whoa, God is saying some big stuff here. God is amongst us. We're expecting the manifestation of the Spirit. Together we are encountering God. That can come to in worship. If, if worship leaders, I know that's not a biblical definition, but I know it happens. Some people are gifted to lead us in worship. That means they're more than a musician. Some people start just as musicians, but they can find the gift of God, and, and actually they can really lead you uh, in worship together. Uh, that's great. But we're looking to encounter God in worship. And, and I would feel that every meeting should be like that. I hate going to meetings where we're not expecting to meet God. There's no manifestation of the presence of God. Well, what was that all about? We're doing religion without Jesus. And so we're, we're looking to encounter the Spirit. And, and, and we just need to help sometimes. Uh, and I'm so grateful when people are willing to serve musically. I think, for instance, this morning, just great job. And it's just great. I love it. And I love people being willing because it takes a bit of courage to get up there on a platform and do your thing. As, you know, there's a lot of hard work behind the scene and so on. But I do want to encourage people to, to tune into the presence of the Spirit. And sometimes it takes a bit more skill to have that sensitivity and be free to move. Because it can be, well, these are the songs we're going to sing. And we've already pre-planned that. And it can be actually kind of in disguise what it used to be when the hymn numbers were up on the board. Which is where I started. Go back that far. Uh, so that, you know, you went to church and there were the hymn numbers. And I used to look up in the hymn books, you know, what we're going to sing today. And uh, so that was unchanging. And it can be a bit like that, though it's contemporary. We've already got it on our piece of paper. Well, that's the next one and so on. Now, it actually takes not only sensitivity to the spirit, but a bit of musical skill to change, to go to things we haven't practiced for, and so on. And so we need to be really... Uh, patient and caring and tender towards musicians, but always trying to help them lift the bar of expectation. That we're not just whacking out the latest, you know, Matt Redman song. Uh, and, and, and you can get kind of, oh, let's have a real noisy one to get started. Let's, and you get all kind of techniques. And you think, but is it Holy Spirit? Is it Holy Spirit? And so we're, we're wanting to learn what is it I want to say to God? And we set that to song. So people choose wisely. I hope people choose good songs with gospel content that have Jesus in focus. And they're not just me and how I feel and so on. But So choosing good songs that have the gospel in them. The, God, the Holy Spirit will always own that sort of thing. And uh, to sing something just because it's got a good melody. Or with lines, I don't even understand what that means. Then your brain goes dead and worship goes out the window. Because your mind is not engaged. And so we want to worship in spirit and in truth. And if what we're singing, it's not actually true. It's just mindless ditties. Well, your brain goes dead because you sing it again, sing it again. But what is it saying? Well, I don't know. It's really going, isn't it? I think, no. And so I want to be saying, come on, let's lift. What do, we, what do we want to sing about? And you can even go through a whole morning or meeting 
and think, we didn't mention Jesus once. You know, we were saying, I'm in victory, I'm moving on. What do you mean? We just need to say, what am I singing? And we need to talk to musicians and talk together, not to put anybody down, but to help lift them up. And say, come on, now, what, why are you choosing that song? What's, what's, what do you feel that song brings to us? And, I, and I'm so thrilled with that. I remember, when, I mean, someone like Stuart Townend, we've been hugely privileged in my church at home. Uh, Stuart Townend and others, good songwriters. And he, I remember he wrote The Power of the Cross. And the first time I ever heard it, we were on a retreat, and he sang it and taught it. He said, wow. And I remember was, there was one line, and I thought, I'm not quite sure about that. And I was just chatting to him afterwards. And, and I just said, oh, I love your new song, Stuart. That line, so-and-so, and he said, yeah, I've wondered about that. And he opened a book. He said, yeah, and he had four other alternative lines, for one line, four other alternatives. That's how hard he worked on writing a song. And you think of something like In Christ Alone. I mean, these guys work hard. People like Graham Kendrick, amazing songs he wrote, and, and full of truth. So we just want to say, let's sing songs that, that they stir your heart, because they're saying something. That's why great songs like the Wesleys, you know, Charles Wesley wrote centuries ago. Why do they live on? Because of what they say. They say such great things. And so spirit-filled leadership is taking responsibility for our worship and saying, now, guys, let's try and, uh, and you know, talk to guys who are musicians. Don't think, well, you're into music. I'm not really a music guy. I'm more of a Bible guy, so God bless you. No, no, no. Let's engage and talk it through and try and lift things if we can and people are very willing and it's wonderful I thank God for musicians who are willing to work hard but let's encourage people along just one thing slightly sometimes they've got to know how to kind of shape this kind of a talk but the gifts of the spirit too in a meeting sometimes leaders need to lead in, in prophesying say and sometimes you can think, well, you know, I'm the lead elder or something. I don't want to dominate. I'm going to preach later. Let some people, others prophesy. Uh, I think it's important that we constantly praying, Lord, I covet the gifts. It's, we're told in the Bible, covet to prophesy. So it's a very explicit command. Lord, I want to prophesy. And, and it will help set, set the tone, set something of what we're looking for. See, sometimes you get battles about do we have charismatic worship or not? And the battle can be are there contributions? It's a word we've come up with, contributions. But sometimes the contributions are so uninspiring that the musicians say, what did we stop for that for? Now, they may not say that out loud, but they might think, I was just into song number three. We were just getting somewhere. And that guy stood up and said, the other day I went down the street and I saw that. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, thank you. What on earth was he talking about? So we, we need to understand we're not for contributions. Oh, good, we're charismatic. We had contributions. Did the Holy Spirit speak? And again, as leaders, we sometimes need to risk that we're slightly dominating the meeting, perhaps. We're not trying to. That's not my goal. But just to say, by implication, 
prophecy is a bit like this. Now, you don't say that, but you prophesy. And so people are beginning to understand. One of my sons was in a certain church for a while when he was at college, and he said to me, Dad, they have contributions. He said, people say, I read this poem this week. And they read out a poem in the worship. He said, he said, that's New Frontiers, Dad. That's having a contribution. I wasn't too thrilled. Because we're not, it's not like, oh, Holy Spirit meetings are our week. Do what you like. And we call that, ah, oh, that's really good. And it's not necessarily very good at all. We might have been better having just a few more songs. So we're just saying, Lord, please help us all the time. We really want to hear you because when the Spirit is operating, I'm really working, you know, gifts can, ah, oh, they just take the, you know, they just inspire you, don't they? You may be going through a really tough patch and someone brings something, think, oh, God, you know all about me, you know. It just feeds you. It, it just does wonderful stuff. It rev- gives revelation to you. And so we're saying, help us. And leaders, don't abandon responsibility to demonstrate, I don't lead in everything, they all have a go. Be careful you don't, that doesn't result in it's all a bit trivial, but we call it charismatic. Do you hear me? I mean, questions later, by all means. But I, I just, some things that we need to say. So, but that's kind of about meetings a bit. It's a bit implied by what I said earlier, but I just say it. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you became imitators of us, having received the word in much tribulation in the joy of the Holy Spirit. You imitated us, as Paul, his co-workers, because although you were under pressure, you were in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a bit like what I was saying earlier. It's a slight twist on it, in that the Holy Spirit gives joy when circumstances look least like it. So you get... Paul, in the Philippian jail, his back is bleeding, he's in the inner prison, he's in chains, it's midnight, and he's singing. And wow, how did he do that? What have they got in there? They got some, what have they got in there? You know, how do they smuggle the booze in? What are they drinking in there? Because there is a joy in the spirit which is nothing to do with circumstances. And Paul says to the Thessalonian church, you, as a church... You, you, you were like us. Because although directly the gospel came to town, there was a backlash. They had joy. And the Holy Spirit brings joy in spite of circumstances. In spite of circumstances. And leadership should be, as it were, modeling that. Again, another uh, verse which is somewhat similar to what I was saying earlier, but I just want to mention it. Paul says to Timothy... Fan into flame the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. So he's writing to his young friend who's got huge responsibilities, challenges, and trying to represent Paul in a very demanding role. And he's weak, and, and, and the passage says he's weak, says he's, you know, he's, he's not very impressive in himself. And so Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. It's important for us to understand that you might, you might think, 
well, it must be, you know, I'd love to have Benny Hinn lay hands on me or something. You know, I think, if Benny Hinn laid hands on me, and a friend of mine was at one of the meetings in Orlando, he said, Benny Hinn put his hand up like, he said, I was thrown off my feet. He just like he said, crashed down. He said, wow, Benny Hinn laid hands on you. And well, Paul laid hands on Timothy, which might be almost as good as Benny Hinn, right? <laughs> and so Paul laid hands on Timothy, but he still wrote to Timothy and said, fan into flame the gift. So you may have Benny Hinn lay hands on you. You still need to fan into flame. In other words, yeah, I received the Spirit then, but I still need to awaken that. There's a, there's a danger of things becoming dormant, and so we have responsibility. Fan into flame. Why? Well, sometimes people throw a bucket of cold water over you. Who do you think you are? Oh, call yourself this. You know, you get setbacks. And so, yeah, fan into flame the gift of God. And one of the things to do is to remember it's a gift of God. We sometimes think it's the reward of God. It's because I'm very holy. And I haven't been very holy lately. No, it's the gift of God. It's something God gives you that is, it's not a projection of your personality. You can meet certain guys who think, wow, he's such an extrovert. You know, he's obviously full of the Spirit. No, he's an extrovert. And, and you know, I was, I was once um, at the National Gallery, Trafalgar Square, London, and uh, there was uh, there two paintings of Samson. One was by Rubens. One was, I can't remember who the other one was by. And I had notes, the two very big paintings, huge paintings. And uh, uh, they're both the same painting in as much as they were both Delilah cutting Samson's hair. Both of them. Just different ways they did it. But there's Delilah, there's Samson getting his hair cut off. Now, you look at Samson. How do you think they painted Samson? I mean, talk about muscles on his muscles. And that guy is, you know, bulging with muscles. Why do, we, why do we suppose Samson was muscular? Why do you suppose, you know? I mean, years ago, I went and saw a movie, Samson and Delilah, and uh, they, they got Samson was played by a guy called Victor Mature, who in those days was one of the biggest kind of lumps of ham that was at Hollywood. And uh, so, you know, he can hardly walk. He's so muscular. And uh, he plays Samson. But if that's what he looks like, why do they say to him, what is the secret of your power? You don't go to Arnold Schwarzenegger and say, hey, Arnie, what's the secret? He would say, pump those irons, you know, pump those irons. No, Samson must have looked like anybody else, mustn't he? Isn't that the whole point? Is it cut your hair? Is it with new ropes? I mean, what's the deal with you? No, it's the Holy Spirit. That's the deal. The Holy Spirit. It's not a projection of a tough guy. It's God coming on him. And we need to understand the Holy Spirit on us is not, well, you're an extrovert anyway, so you're a bit of a charismatic leader. No. I'm a very weak, like Gideon. No, I'm scared stiff. Then the Spirit came upon him. Whoa. It was Samson. The Spirit came upon him. If you look about that, you look every time the, Spirit, the Bible says the Spirit came upon him. What's the next word? That's right. And. Exactly right. You look at it. Every time, virtually, the Holy Spirit came upon him 
and. <laughs> it's the Spirit comes and then things happen. It's not Samson. Well, of course, he's a powerful guy anyway. No, he's not. It's a mystery. It's a total mystery. How do you do that, Samson? It's a power other than. Other than. It's not the projection of your personality. It's not, well, you know, he could talk, you know, he could sell you anything. That guy, he'd be a good preacher. No. It's other than coming upon you. And, and Timothy is told, stir up the gift that is where? In you now. In you. When the Spirit came on you, he's now with you. The Holy Spirit, we're told, comes to abide. He's there. He's in you. It's a bit like Jesus at the, at the well. He said to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was speaking to you, you'd ask him, he would give you living water, and you would have in you a well springing up. And she said, give me that. Then I wouldn't have to keep coming to this well. Give me, give, you give me the well. See, when you receive the Spirit, you receive the well. <laughs> Do you think of it? Do you think of the Holy Spirit's at the meeting? I can't wait to get to the meeting. You know, have a great Sunday. Oh, thank you, Jesus. What a great Sunday. And you hit to Monday. Oh, Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Will we make it to Sunday? And then we go, oh, we come to church. Oh, will you be there, Lord? Jesus said you can have the well. You can take the well with you. You have fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. The well is in you. Spring up a well, sing to it. It's come to abide. Even, even the word anointing, Jesus said in Luke, in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. First time, that mighty time. You know, he got anointed, the Spirit, he, he went into the wilderness, came back, said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me. He doesn't say, I feel anointed this morning. He's not, he's not describing an experience that he's having. He's not saying, I feel anointed. That's an anointed song. This is an anointed meeting. No, no, he says, he anointed me. He anointed me. It happened six weeks ago. He anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He anointed me. We need to have more faith for that. He anointed me. Did you receive? Yeah, I've been anointed. I'm anticipating God will work. He anointed me for this. It's not, oh God, will you anoint me this week? He anointed me. Do you understand what I'm saying? You go to the Old Testament. The priest, he's been anointed to be the priest. The king, the David, David, the Spirit came upon David when Samuel laid hands on him. He was anointed. The Spirit's within us. When he comes, he comes to stay. Now we need to enjoy him, experience him, know that he's here with us now. We're the temple of the Spirit. And so Peter, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame. Because although he's with us, we can ignore him. And so you find elsewhere in Timothy, he says, don't neglect the gift that's in you. Don't neglect it. It's possible to neglect what you've got. Don't neglect the gift that's in you through the laying on of my hand. So we need to say, Lord, I'm going to stir up the gift that's in me. 
That can be with some of the like prophecy. You think, well, you can, you can neglect the gift of prophecy that you've got. You can neglect praying for the sick. You may have hit one or two problems having seen some fun things happen. Oh, we're not going there again. No, don't neglect the gift that's in you. Don't neglect. That was, that was my testimony. If you had time here and we don't. I, I saw a lot of people healed and then I backed off for a long time. I thought God spoke to me, I guess it would be about four or five years ago now. And I've been praying for the sick much, much more and seen a lot happen. But I neglected. Don't neglect the gift. Fan into flame the gift that is in you. Holy Spirit leadership. Just one or two more and then we'll have any questions you might like to ask. Holy Spirit leadership means the Holy Spirit can lead us in terms of guidance. That's very clear. So that you find, uh, for instance, the Spirit indicates to Peter to go to Cornelius' home. That would be completely outside of his normal way of thinking. As a, a previously devout Jew, he's not going to go to the home of a Gentile, a Roman centurion, the hated Romans. But the Spirit said go. Now he's a Spirit-filled leader, so he's going to learn to obey the Spirit. That's, that's part of it. We must obey the Holy Spirit. The Spirit made it clear to him. We find that happens again and again. It says about Paul in Acts 16, he was going to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbade him. Interesting verse, isn't it? I wonder how he forbade him. The Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him. How does that happen? But he's sufficiently sensitive to the Spirit. It's like, I can't go any further. I don't suppose there's a road sign. Don't go any further. But he knew the Spirit saying, you don't go in there. Because while he's a Spirit-led man, the Spirit forbade him to go to Asia. Then he gets the Macedonian call. You find the same with Philip. In Acts 8, the Spirit said, go join this chariot. You know, when he spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch, the Spirit told him, go join yourself. So, there's an openness to Holy Spirit promptings. Now, if we're collectively leading, not isolated, you know, you might get, right, it's time now to bid for that building. You know, we've been church planting, we've been hiring halls, we think it's time now. What the, you're looking to the Holy Spirit to guide. You're looking to the Holy Spirit. What should we offer? You say, well, how can we offer that much? That's crazy. No, the Holy Spirit said. And, and the Holy Spirit told us to close sternly. I had the people who run Spring Harvest come to my office and said, we want to see you. And they said, sat down and said, we hear you're closing sternly Bible week. Is it true? I said, yeah, we are actually. Why? Well, I had to say, the Holy Spirit told us. That sounds so lame, doesn't it? And it wasn't just Terry Virgo saying it. I mean, we collectively, and it won't take a long time, but there were real clear from us, very clear Holy Spirit indications. Very clear. We were not left in doubt about it. But the guy said, you're crazy. It's the biggest thing happening. What are you doing? No, the Holy Spirit told us. Holy Spirit leadership, we're trying, we're trying not just to be successful. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? What is the, so we've just done this at Brighton to get on a mission. Right, that phase, we feel the Spirit spoken. We're trying to lead by acknowledging the authority of the Holy Spirit, that he can lead us. 
And so it's very important. It's the Holy Spirit leadership isn't just hallelujah. You know, it's not amen. Do you say amen? Who says amen? Amen, amen. You know, oh, you know it's not, people think, oh, that's Holy Spirit. I said amen. Amen. Thank you. And, uh, you know, uh, now that, people think that's Holy Spirit. Well, wow, lovely. But I think that's, are we obeying the Holy Spirit? Are we, are we learning of him? Just two more things quickly. Help in prayer. Paul says, praying in the Spirit. Now, I guess we've preached a lot about that over the years, so I won't labor it again now. But praying is hard. The easiest thing about prayer is stopping. The Bible says, don't, you know, don't give up, because it's tough. But it says the Spirit prays for us. And, and we need to learn to engage with the Spirit in prayer, intercession, laboring in prayer. Paul says, I labor with all the energy that he mightily inspires within me. So there is a, there's a spirit, Holy Spirit activity in prayer that takes you beyond yourself. So sometimes you can be praying about something and, and you find a kind of urgency you didn't know you had. You think, I don't, I don't care this much about this. Why am I praying? You know, I feel this. In my, so it's the, I think that's praying in the Spirit. When the Spirit kind of gets hold of you. And that can happen to a corporate prayer of time, but it can happen to you on your own. And you feel, hey, I really care about this, and I didn't know I did. Because it's the Holy Spirit praying in you. Praying in the Spirit. Also praying with the Spirit, which seems to mean praying in tongues, because it says, I pray with the understanding, I pray with the Spirit. In a passage, he's talking about tongue speaking. So praying in tongues as well, that's again, Holy Spirit-inspired Praying. So prayer is uh, one of the ways we are Holy Spirit leaders. And the last one, I mentioned it a bit before, but again, just I said I'd come back to it. Help in preaching. Preaching is one of the main uh, tools, I would say, of, of the average pastor, average elder, preaching. And we need to ask God, please help me in this realm. Because preaching is where people can encounter God, be encountered by God. Faith can rise in their hearts. Things happen, supernatural things happen while you're preaching. Supernatural. People encounter God, they say, I must stop that relationship. I must stop that. Because they meet God. You're preaching and they're meeting God. And they're making decisions, which you didn't have to get them and eyeball them and say, why do you, you should change, haven't you read? And now, you know, there's place for personal counseling. There's not place for bullying. There's not place for legalism. We're a grace people. And so if we're a grace people, we're not trying to manipulate through guilt. We're not trying to bully, bully people through law, because they're not under law. So one of the ways that you shape life and change people's lives is through inspiring preaching that gives them a motive to change the way they are. And God does that through. You need to say, Lord, I, I, I want your spirit to help me to preach in a way that inspires change and shapes people's thinking. Because when someone gets saved, they can get saved in a moment, can't they? And our world is not a Christian world. It's a pagan world. It's self-centered. It's obtaining things. That the world culture of England at the moment, uh, the UK, is just so non-Christian. So someone gets saved in a moment. In a moment. They, they hear the gospel. They think, oh, wow. And they get saved 
but their, their, their world view is over here. The way they think about raising kids, the way they think about sex, the way they think about marriage, the way they think about jobs, the way they think, the whole thing is over here. They just got saved. And now you've got to bring them from there to here. Because they may be saved, but they've got all wrong values, totally. The fact that they got saved doesn't change all their values overnight. How do they get changed then? Well, one of the ways they get changed is they hear from you the word of God, which is able to cut in and undo stuff, reshape stuff, change their thinking, change their perspectives by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does it, but often does it through your preaching. And so they say, I've never seen that before. I didn't realize I was bullying my wife. I didn't realize, I didn't, oh, don't you, oh, I see. And all sorts of things, the Spirit does it in them. And people begin to change. Or grace, they suddenly see grace. You could, you could go to a, a, a reformed church, theologically reformed. In other words, they would say, we hold the doctrines of grace. It's the doctrines of bondage. They've never seen grace. They would say, theologically, we are grace-based. No, they're legalistic up to here. Because they've never seen it. They've not seen it. But you preach grace by the Spirit and such people. Oh, really? Is that true? Is that true? I remember once I was preaching in, uh, in a place called Constantia in Cape Town. And we had a big tent. Hot, talk about hot, terrific hot day. And I'm preaching grace. And at the end, a guy came up to me, and his wife's there with him, and she's wearing a navy blue suit, a hat, and gloves. I mean, it's like 90 degrees. I mean, really, 33, whatever. You know, really, really hot. And, and, and she's standing there and said, is what you said true? I said, I preached verse by verse from Romans. I said, it's true. And she's got tears pouring down her face. She said, I've been a Christian as long as I know. I've never, ever heard that before. And I said, well, you just get the book, God's Lavish Grace. Follow it up. Keep moving. And I, I went there a year later. And this guy comes up, and he's got his wife there. She's there. And he said, it's like I've got a new wife. She saw it. She suddenly saw grace. I've never seen it before. And so the preaching opened her eyes. And so for, for many of you here, I guess, are leaders, elders, youth leaders, whatever, different roles of leadership. Preaching is one of the main tools of Holy Spirit-inspired preaching. Paul says, our, our gospel came to you not in word only, but in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit and in power and full assurance. And so there's a revelatory aspect that people suddenly see what they've never seen before. They come into light. They come into freedom. And so that's a lot to do with Holy Spirit leadership. Okay, I think we've got a quarter of an hour. I've gone a little longer than I intended. So, I, probably we can pass a mic round. I'll let the technical guys... Uh, thank you. So you're ready there. So if you want to ask a question, just give a wave and the mic will be brought to you. We've only quarter of an hour, so here's a, here's a hand wave. All right. That's one right straight away at the back. Maybe we need another mic. 
If anyone's near enough, you can shout while we're sorting it. Hold on, I think they're there. Yeah. Um, I, was, I wanted to ask, is there a difference between uh, being anointed with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? I think that experientially, probably those things happen at the same occasion, but the filling of the Spirit, I think, is for every believer that they can come expecting to be filled with the Spirit. I think that Paul, it seems to me that when Paul was saved, it says Ananias laid hands on him and the Spirit came on him. That's three days after he's saved. But then Ananias also says to him, the Lord's chosen you for this and this and this. So it almost seems like for him, when the Spirit came on him, his, his ministry is encapsulated in the Spirit coming upon him. So it looks like there's an overlapping. Uh, so the Spirit coming on him for him also included the promise of what was going to come. Now I would say this too, because I can sound like it's a little bit buttoned up. But in Acts 13 it says, At the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Then it gives a list of a few names, including Paul and Barnabas. And they're named as prophets and teachers. Then it says, the Spirit said, separate for me Barnabas and Saul to the work. And then it says, after that it says, Barnabas and Saul, the apostles. Acts 14, 14. So at the beginning of Acts 13, they're called prophets or teachers. Chapter 14, they're called apostles. So it would appear to me that we are not locked into any particular gifting or anointing, to use the word you used, that we can find that God is opening us up more and more and more. And so I think the baptism of the Spirit is the introduction into life in the Spirit. Subsequent fillings may also open us up to further ministries. Is that helpful? I don't think we're locked in. I think we can find, you know, there comes suddenly some, you have an encounter with the Spirit, you're led on to some other ministry as well. one here. Thank you very much for that. What should leadership training look like in the church? What, what are the essential elements? I'm sorry, I'm missing it. What, what should leadership training look like in okay, the church? Okay, leadership yeah. training. Yeah, well, I think that it, different people use different approaches, but I think that there needs to be a mixture of content, you know, theological, uh, biblical content, that people have really got a clear understanding of theology that should be part of the program there needs to be mentoring which touches people's character otherwise it says in the Bible knowledge puffs up love builds up so it's possible to just hand out lots of knowledge that doesn't necessarily bring you into a leadership capacity so there needs to be character development as well and, uh, and I think then the help of, of, of developing gifting and so I think we need to, uh, wherever possible, help people into uh, developing skills. Maybe, uh, I don't know if you know, or it's relevant to say it, but the couple who led worship this morning, who did, I felt, a superb job, it's the first time they've done it in such a big meeting. Now, that's great. I mean, Jeremy you know, helped people through to the next step, next step. So part of training is not simply, um, you know, getting a lot of facts down. I think 
You know, part of Jesus' training was to send the disciples into a storm. You don't often get that at Bible college, you know, go to storm meeting. What's that? <laughs> but Jesus is a sent them into the storm. And, and, and so training is very... And we can't always create those things, obviously. But we're looking for more than just accumulating knowledge. And I would say that's one of the problems of theological college. Uh, and I went, I went to Bible college. And, and I would say very limited. I wouldn't encourage anybody to do it. I think it's, you, you accumulate lots of knowledge and there's no application. I was there for three years. No, I got the, didn't meet a sinner for three years. You know, it's like you're locked in. And I think there's gotta, it's got to be, Jesus didn't send people to college. He drew them alongside him, sent them out, got them back. What happened? They told him what happened. Then he corrects them, encourages them. So we want, yes, there is knowledge. I think there's character and there's a gifting development. But I would think those are three of the important ingredients in helping people through. Singing in the spirit is the question, really. Um, the appropriateness of a Sunday morning meeting. There seems to be some discussion around about that should the worship leader introduce it. You mentioned about prophecy as an illustration of using gifts of the Spirit. What's your view on singing in the Spirit? Uh, I'm not sure I heard every word, but you're talking about singing in the Spirit corporately in a meeting. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? First time I ever encountered it, I didn't know what to make of it. And uh, uh, as it happens, I'd been filled with the Spirit uh, a few years earlier, and I'd, at that moment, never been to a meeting, a a charismatic meeting. And then they all started singing in the Spirit. I thought, whoa, what's going on here? I, I, by that time, had, I sang in tongues alone at home. I didn't know if anybody else in the world did it. That's how I felt. But in the end, I thought, I'll join in. I joined in. And I, and I felt happy with it. I would say, in the, in the Bible, it talks about speaking in tongues altogether seems to be frowned upon, I think, in Corinthians. Because it says, what will the outsider think? So people say, well, what is singing in the Spirit altogether? Is that not the same? Well, I would say singing in the Spirit, there's something harmonious about it. It's not chaotic. It's, it's, it's the very harmony that is rather striking, actually. And so it's not quite like all speaking in tongues together. Uh, I, and so I'm not hostile to it. Having said that, I've tended, as, as the years have slipped by, I'm not so always looking for it. I uh, don't know how to express that. But uh, it's not such a big deal f anymore for me. I would think it used to be. I just think, whoa, this is amazing. I'm not sure it's the only way the Spirit is manifested in the meeting. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not against it, but I'm not personally one who necessarily... Now, I think when we're in a church prayer meeting and we've got long time, and we're, uh, we often find, yeah, the Spirit breaks out upon us there and... Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think it's like all speaking in tongues together. I think all singing in the Spirit together is it's just got, there's a kind of harmonious thing. I don't think it's referred to in the Bible. So we're a little bit uh, out on our own uh, on this one. But I, w I would personally feel happy with it. I feel like there can be a sense of the presence of the Spirit in it. Um, I remember when it, first start, when it first started for me, when I first encountered it, uh, which would have been about 65 when I first encountered it. And, and you think, 
Oh, it all stopped suddenly. It's very supernatural. I think, I'm not sure it was supernatural, it all stopped. And I, I think it's something we can do together. It's something that, fine, I'm not, it's not a huge deal for me anymore. I'm not sure if I've answered your question. I guess, I mean, being a bit from the old school sort of myself and having grown up in it, I'm finding that people are questioning it more nowadays as being a relevant thing. What, because I, of the sort of thing I've said, like speaking in tongues altogether? Yeah, that it, I mean, there is that issue, that it is people speaking in tongues altogether. So then uh, the thing that I feel that's gone is that then when people do sing in the spirit corporally, it tends to then lead to perhaps somebody then yeah. bringing a stronger yeah. tongue that yeah. will then start to open up people yeah. to moving in the gifts in a greater measure. Yeah. And I'm sort of looking at it and going, oh, this is a bit sad if we let that go yeah. uh, and then leave that behind because it's not. Because it seems then, then that moving into the things of the spirit yeah. seems to be more a jump, a step. Okay. That's very interesting. I think I would observe that as well. That often when there's been a... We, we meet as a, elders and staff every Tuesday morning. We have about an hour and a half of prayer and worship. Uh, and there will be about 40 or 50 of us with the impact team and the rest of it. And often there will be singing in the spirit. I mean, nearly every week that would probably happen. And I think probably you're right that often on the back of it, there will be a release of... Uh, prophetic gifts perhaps a bit more than before it. So I don't, I don't resist at all what you're saying. Um, and so I'm, I'm certainly open to that. And uh, I don't know that I necessarily fight for it, but I'm certainly very open to it. Yeah. Yeah. Often we don't have the same length of time as time becomes a bit of a challenge in a public meeting that you have in a prayer meeting. In a prayer meeting, you can be praying for a couple of hours and there's nothing else going to happen. Whereas on a, on a Sunday meeting, you have so much time for this and that and so on. And so it's not always the same opportunity for things to open in the same way. It can do. I'm not saying it can't. But I think that sometimes the time factor is a little bit of a challenge. But I, I'm, I'm all for it. I think, again... Um, it's, it's very helpful to be public. If we're beginning to be more and more evangelistic, which I think, I think that, that would certainly we want to be evangelistic. We're in a world that needs evangelizing. And I think we're beginning, probably through things like Alpha, to get more guests in our meetings than we ever did. And uh, uh, I think that's true from my experience. We, in the early days, we hardly had any non-Christian guests. These days, we seem to have quite a few uh, non-Christian people around. And I think it's quite good. I actually like it at the beginning of the meeting to say, welcome to our guests. Uh, during this meeting, there will be participation. People will take part. Uh, some will read a scripture. Some will start a song. Some will speak out things that God is impressing upon them. Some will speak in a foreign language and it will be interpreted. I mean, you don't have to be long-winded but I, I really like that. I've been to a few churches where they've done that. And I thought, wow, you've really, it's excellent because you've, you've lifted expectation from the beginning. Uh, sometimes, 
And in my own home church, they tend to explain afterwards. They always explain, which I think is very helpful for the outsider, uh, so that often during the announcements, halfway through the meeting, they'll say, you will have noticed in the meeting this happened, and this guy interpreted this is something in the Bible, and so on. It, it just sometimes sounds like a little bit of an apology, uh, which I don't much like. So I much prefer it. first time I ever saw it was in Jonathan Bell's church in Birmingham. He started the meeting like it. just said, this will happen. And I thought, oh, that's lovely. I like that. And then I went there like two years later, and he started the meeting like it again. And I said to him, your people get used to doing that every week. I mean, is that boring for them? Every week you say, this will happen. And uh, he said, no, actually, I think it gets our people on their toes as well. And I thought, no, you did it so well. It wasn't long-winded. You know, it's not a long explanation. But it's just like, in this meeting, we believe God is with us, and he speaks to us. And, you know, you don't have to be very wordy. He will impress us with things, and we will just... So that's what will happen in this meeting. Right, let's go. And I think then people know. So then the supernatural is... I think, historically, my experience would be religious people get offended with the supernatural. Unsaved people think, hmm... What's that? That's interesting. Unsaved people are not offended by the supernatural. They think it's fascinating. It's religious people can be upset. Oh, what happened to your meeting? Okay. I don't know if I've covered it again. I'm not sure I've covered it all. Hi, Terry. You must have seen many, many young leaders come through in your time. I just wonder if there's one or two things that you would be looking for um, in young leaders coming through that you would uh, be happy to pass yeah. on. Yeah, very good. It's funny, I, I, I now, I Twitter or tweet, or whatever, you know, I do that. And I do it kind of two or three times a week. And uh, I, I, I read um, Rick Warren. He's the most inspiring Twitterer there is. And uh, he, he, today, I think it was today, I read one of his tweets Somebody said to me, masculine. Twitter, twittering is so masculine. I thought, twittering is masculine? He said, he, said, he said, well, you're only allowed to do 142 things. So he said, that's all that men want to say. You know, just, that's it, keep it short. That's what he meant by masculine. Anyway, Rick Warren's, and he said, I've raised up many leaders. He said, what am I looking for in leaders? And then he said, humility, humility, humility. He just put three times, I thought, that's right. That's right. I think it's huge. I, I, and I think that humility is, so it is vastly important. And so, uh, as a young guy I know, he's done ever so well, actually, really, really well. I, took, I often take young guys with me in the car. I took him out one day, and we're going out to preach. And I said, well, what, things, what are you going to do with your life as we're driving up to this meeting? He said, well, I, said, I, I could go into business. Um, I could go into teaching. Um, he said, like, my dad's gone into business, put a lot of money in the church. I could do that. He said, I could be a pastor. And he's just talking like this, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, it's going to scare the life out of me. I could be a pastor. You know, it's like, I could do it. And I thought, boy, you're going to hit the wall one day and find, I can't do it, Lord. That's when God steps in and things start changing. Um, but to be honest, the guy's done very, very well. And he's really blissing. He's in another country now. But when he first said, I, you know, I could do it. That really scared me, because I think, when you think I can do it, that's a bit of a problem. So I think Rick Warren's right. Humility is a big issue. You're looking, but you, you don't want to overplay humility in the sense that 
there's no faith that God could bring me through. And so I think one is looking for an honesty and unwillingness to be shaped. Uh, these are big issues, I think. Rather than gifting and skill, but obviously uh, there has to come gifting. There has to be some gifting, otherwise we're a dead dog. But we're, lo- we're looking for a, a humility of character and faith that God can use us in a, in a word or two there. I think we just have one more, maybe. I think I, my time is running out. I just so I must make this the last one. Jeremiah knew before he was in the womb that he was called to be a prophet. Um, when we get to Samuel, Samuel had schools of prophets. It's really it's a, it's a sort of like a nature or nurture question. Um, how, mu- how much is God's calling and how much is it refined by circumstances and the, the heart of the person? I, I really do feel fundamentally it is God's calling. How we become aware of God's calling can be very diverse. So, you know, you said Jeremiah knew in the womb. I don't think he probably knew anything in the womb, but God knew when he was still in the womb. But I think that, I do believe that God's call is fundamental to serving him. But it comes in all sorts of ways. I remember one of, one of my sons, I'm very blessed to have four sons and a daughter. And uh, my youngest son, two of my other sons are full-time ministry. And my youngest son said, Dad, how do you know when you're called? And... Uh, because he didn't want to assume anything. He's got two brothers who are pastors, and he's wondering. And uh, I said, I, I, can't, I can't tell you. But I, he said, well, I don't want to assume, but I would love to serve the Lord. And I said to him, well, it says in the Scriptures that let, if you purify yourself, you might be a vessel unto honor, ready for a service. I've forgotten the exact phrase, but it's in Timothy. Uh, and uh, ready for the Master's call, as it were. So I said, if you, if you, I said, God's not going to be angry with you because you want to serve him. He won't, you know, but, but don't overstep the mark. But you said, well, I'm, just be a vessel unto honor, ready. And then, it, you know, then God will show you or not. But don't be, because uh, he can't say, what's the point? You know, do, will God make it clear? Shall I bother? And I said, no, be a vessel. Be ready. For, say, Lord, I, I'm available if you want me. But don't assume. And so... Uh, I believe God has now led him through. He's, he's a youth worker now. And, uh, but I think he, that he, he seemed to be helped by that. So, yeah, you can't force it, but it comes different ways. I think, I, I think it comes in all sorts of ways. People suddenly say, oh, no, God told me. God spoke. Sometimes it's quite extraordinary. For me, it wasn't like that. I think that um, it comes in all sorts of ways. But I do believe it must be God. He says, how shall they preach unless God sent them? There's got to be a, a sense now of full commissioned. And I think that that's what gives a movement, if I can be a bit liberal. I think it's what gives a movement a sense of destiny. Uh, when uh, David Stroud, I heard him say it together on a mission, first time he ever came to one of our Bible weeks, as a stranger, he walked in and he said, I felt there's a sense of destiny about these people. So that was his phrase. I felt this. And I think you get a sense of destiny when you feel, I'm a called man. I didn't just, because when I was at school, I was in A-level, in sixth form, and a guy said to me, I'm going into politics. If I can't go into politics, I'm going into the church. <laughs> he just wanted somewhere to speak, you know. And so it's just a profession. But I think that when you know God's got hold of you, you think, whoa, God. I'm a God person. And so it's very, very different. Miss Close. Father, we just pray that things said here that were helpful will stay with us. I pray that where I've missed the point, 
that those things might just be washed away from our memories. Father, I pray, please continue to bless us. Help us to be authentically spirit-filled leaders. Bless every church represented in this room here now. Pray for your hand upon all who have come here this afternoon wanting so much to serve you as leaders in the church that, Lord, we might find the help of God. We might serve your people and your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. See you tonight. Thank you very much.